of the, the verse in Joshua, right? They're getting ready to cross over. Moses just, Moses has passed away. Now Joshua's in charge and they're getting ready to cross over. And, and the Lord comes to Joshua and he says, listen, you've got to stay close, right? I'm going to go before you, but you've got to stay close because you guys have never been this way before. And, and as we were praying this morning, I got thinking about that because right, think about it over the last six months, what two services what two assembly times here at New Life have looked exactly the same where you could say, oh, yeah, I know what this is going to look like, right? We've been inside, we've been outside, we've been online, we've been in person. Nathan's, Nathan's talked, right? I've shared, Greg, right? Different folks, right? It's looked different week after week. But Greg Veach reminded us of something this morning, right? In the midst of all of that difference, in the midst of all of this, this dynamic where we've never been this way before, Here's the one thing that has not changed. Jesus Christ is the, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? That his promise to us, his assurance to us is that where two or three are gathered, there he is in our midst. So as different as this has looked from week to week, he's been faithful from week to week to continue to be with us. Whether you're here in person at the building, whether you're still at home, whether you're somewhere else, right? God's continuing to be with us week in and week out. Right? He continues to be faithful. Amen? This is out of 1 Peter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to have, you may have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are, in, you are receiving, you are actively receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then just a little bit further down, it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I just want to encourage you guys this morning as, we're, as Greg brings forth God's word um, to prepare your minds for action, right? That this not just be a, a Sunday where we sort of sit and absorb, but that we think of sort of sponging in Christ today so that when we walk out of here, you can be squeezed out and that that can influence and impact like the people that you're going to encounter this week at work, right, at Price Chopper, right, wherever you go, that it wouldn't be just about today just sort of taking in, but that we would have our mindset be similar to Christ, which is to, to take this and to, to do something with it. So, Greg, I just want to pray for you, man. Lord, thank you so much for Greg, for his heart, just to, to share today, to be a mouthpiece and a vessel. Lord, thank you for the time that he's, he's invested just to prepare, to hear your voice.
But Father, today, as we listen, as, as you use him to share your heart and your mind with us, Lord, that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be prepared, Lord, that you would reveal yourself, Lord, that you'd confirm in us things that we, that we know about you and that you'd reveal even yourself in a, in a new way today. So, Lord, we're just, uh, we look forward, Lord, to hearing what's on your mind and, um, Lord, just that your desire is to, to continue to, to make yourself known. Lord, we pray that you'd use Greg this morning to, to do that. We just bless him, Lord. We ask that you would anoint him as he speaks, Lord, that all that you've given him, that he would unload to us today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jay. Well, good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, my name is Greg Beach. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Now, a few weeks ago, when uh, Nathan asked me if I could fill in today while he was on vacation, I really didn't know what I was wanting to talk about. And uh, really, that night or the next day, this meme on the right came into my social media feed. And I said, oh, love God, love others. I knew that that's the greatest commandment right off the top of my head. Uh, so I got thinking, all right, well, maybe I can talk about that. But the problem was I kind of had a little difficulty personally with this because we like things to be simple. I don't have any problem with things being simple. I mean, even our sort of the, the saying we've, we've had around here is inward or upward, inward, outward, right? We, we say that to sort of simplify what we believe as a church and, and when we leave, we always say, disperse and be the church. We don't say, disperse and give to the poor and make sure you come to church on Sunday and follow all the rules. Like, we don't, we don't say that. We sort of simplify the concepts of Christianity so that we kind of have a grasp of it. And I don't have any problem with that. Other than when I saw this meme, I realized that the simplicity of love God and love others, that meme, would be just applicable as applicable to me if I changed those words to love basketball and love big ziti. That simplicity of thought is just as applicable for me that way as love God and love others is. We don't want to overcomplicate God's word, but there may be more to this. And as I kind of understood that maybe this is the direction I was going in, I sort of uh, had some difficulty with the fact that I have lived most of my life by the uh, meme on the left. Love God, love others, the rest are just details. I mean, I've known and I've loved God since I was a child. For me, that was enough. I didn't need to know anything else. And so most of my life, the meme there on the left would be more applicable to me, but I think there is more to it, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So let's read uh, where the greatest commandment is in the Gospels. It's in all three of the synoptic Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, the story is in each one of those Gospels, so it must be important if we hear it three times. It's not in John, but I don't think we have to worry too much about that because John uses the word love far more than the other three Gospel writers. In fact, he uses it four times more than Mark does. So I don't think we have to worry that uh, John left out this specific instance. So let's read each of these. If you'll bear with me, we'll read each of the three gospel passages, and then we'll sort of 
get into a little more detail after that. So in Matthew 22, 34 to 40, we have hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In Mark 12, 28 to 34, we have one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared him ask him any more questions. And in Luke 10, 25 to 28. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law and what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. So the only sort of discrepancy I think we have to just address, but we don't have to worry too much about, is that we see in Luke that it's the teacher that is reciting those words. And in Mark and Matthew, Jesus is saying this is the, the greatest commandment. I don't think we have to worry too much about that. Uh, in Mark and Matthew, they place this uh, greatest commandment in a section where they are, they are describing Jesus teaching in the temple in the early part of Passion Week. And he's answering various questions from the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians. Luke is kind of placing this somewhere else. And I don't think we have to worry too much about it because I think clearly Jesus would have the same lessons over and over again. And sometimes he would give the lesson and maybe other times he would ask somebody else. So the lesson and the concept I think is fine. I don't think we have to worry too much that there's this minor discrepancy between the three. So in the context of this, I mentioned that Matthew and Mark place this where Jesus is in the temple teaching and he's being challenged by the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the lawyers. And each of these questions are sort of tricky questions that we kind of, I think we should understand, like, why are they asking these questions? Right before we see the, Jesus address the greatest commandment in Matthew and Mark, we have the, the story about whether or not they should pay taxes to Caesar. And then right after that one is whose wife will the widow seven times be, where the, the, the woman is widowed once, she has to marry the brother, and then that brother dies, and then so on for seven. In the law, of course, the brother would have to take the wife and become responsible for her. That's the, the second question, and Jesus says, 
you know, you don't get it in heaven. It's not going to be like that. So the first question about taxes, if we look at the context in Matthew, Matthew makes it very clear that it's the Pharisees and the Herodians that are asking about the taxes. And what they're trying to do is justify back then. So this isn't uncommon of how this is sort of playing out. And each teacher would sort of have a different idea of which commandments were supposed to be the most important. Some rabbis were closer to Jesus and thinking that loving your neighbor would be the biggest or the, the most important commandment. Other rabbis would say, well, maybe it's honor your father and mother would be the greatest commandment. So there's always this dynamic. And it was a question that the Jewish leaders at the time were trying to wrestle with. And here comes Jesus, who's speaking with authority and he's true about everything. And he's clever in his answers for all the others. And they ask him this question. So Jesus answers with what we are examining today. Love your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul. Another thing they may be doing is they may be trying to gather evidence, more evidence against Jesus. One historian that I was reading as I prepared for this uh, believes that the arrest warrant for Jesus had already been issued by the time Passion Week rolls around. And what the, the Pharisees and the, the Sanhedrin understood was that they couldn't arrest Jesus because he was so popular, but they could pose these questions. And if he tripped up, they would have more witnesses that they could use in the trial. So that may be one of the things that they are trying to do. They are justifying themselves, right? That's the main motivation. Luke even says that the, that the lawyer trying to justify himself continues to ask about who his neighbor is further on in this passage. And one of the things that struck me as I was thinking about this is that I do that same thing. And I think we all do as people is we try to justify our own self to God. We may not be doing it this way. We may not be asking Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment, trying to trick him that way. But you know what we do do is we will say something like, well, I spent a lot of my time and money and or I spent a lot of my time and effort uh, trying to make more money. But at least I don't have a wooden idol of the Greek god of fortune in my home. Or we might say, you know, I gamble probably a little more than I should have, but at least I don't steal from anybody. Or we say, well, maybe I steal a little bit from my employer, but at least I didn't hurt anybody. Or we say, you know, there's a lot, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, but I didn't kill anybody. And we're, we're doing the same thing in a different way as these Sadducees and Pharisees and the Herodians and the lawyers are doing to Jesus trying to justify ourselves for what we do in our lives. And I think that we get the same answer that they do. Jesus is the answer, not what we want to have be the answer so that we can justify ourselves. So going back to this meme, I mentioned before, like, it's a simplistic statement of the the concept of loving God and loving your neighbors. And as I sort of went through this the last couple of weeks, I realized loving God, I got. It's the second part that I don't do so good at. With all my heart and with all my mind and with all my strength. You know, I said most of my life, I kind of had this idea of what I was supposed to be doing about it. 
And when I really look hard and if I'm honest with myself, loving God with all my heart, do I really do that? I know myself, I have a tendency to prioritize a lot of things in my life. and It's not necessarily always God. And I also know that I have a tendency to be hard-hearted. And I also know that I have a tendency to be a lukewarm Christian. With all my mind, like I said before, the details didn't matter to me. I did not like school as a young man, as a child. I didn't think I needed to study. I don't think I needed to know the details. I knew one thing. I knew I loved God. And I thought that was going to be enough. And it probably is enough. But why do I need to spend time studying something that I already know to be true? And love God with all my strength? That one I can do. I know for sure I can do that. You know, I envision myself, if I were in the garden when they came for Jesus, I wouldn't be like the sons of thunder and drift off on my own. I would be like Peter. I would draw my sword and cut off ears if you were coming for my God, not on my watch. And then I realize, well, God doesn't need me in my puny strength. He's got legions of angels. And no matter how many ears Peter and I cut off, God, would, Jesus would just pick them right up and heal the person anyway. So what a waste for me to think that my own physical strength would have anything to do with loving God. So there's where I was at as I was preparing for this. And one of the things I try to do uh, as I sort of study the Bible and understand concepts is I, before I go and look at commentators, what I try to do is I try to look at things or people or situations in my life that I think correlate to what I'm trying to learn about the gospel first. I try to do that before I read somebody else's opinion. And as I did this, Two people in this church actually came to my mind as an example of what this might be. And it, it might not fit exactly, but for me, doing that sort of exercise of trying to find an example of my life helps me to sort of, for a starting point where I can really maybe understand the scripture a little better. And these two people, if you have children in this church, you may know them, uh, my daughter Elizabeth and Sydney Hetrick. And what I understood about those two was those two love kids. And I got thought thinking about it, well, how do I even know that they love kids? Other than Elizabeth lives with me, so I kind of had an idea. But if you, if you watch them, if you watch how they interact with kids, I think, do they love kids with all their heart? And I'm pretty sure they do because I've seen them interact with kids. And a, and a child will walk up to them in the lobby with some thing that they made, like two popsicle sticks glued together and colored, and they want to show Elizabeth and Sid, and they're like really happy that they made that thing. I don't think that I can do that. I mean, I'm glad for you, youngster, but I mean, it's two popsicle sticks glued together. But they, Liz and Elizabeth, Liz, Liz and Sid, they are like excited. And, you know, the other thing that they do is when one of the kids is having a bad day, it looks to me like any moment they're going to start break out crying over this. Oh, I've got this small bandage. You know, I got a Band-Aid. I cut my finger. And Elizabeth and Sid are like, oh, this is terrible. So they both want to be teachers. And they're both in college looking to be teachers. 
If you're a teacher, I know we have some other teachers in here, you probably understand that just loving kids isn't enough. You have to know stuff, right? With your mind, you have to know how to make a lesson plan and developmental what processes of children and, and all that other stuff. You don't have to know how to run a classroom. It's not just enough that they love kids. They have to know stuff. My dad was a teacher for 32 years, and I know what these two young ladies in our church are in for. If you don't think teachers need strength to love their students, then you don't, probably don't understand what teachers go through very well. Early mornings, late nights, kids that are difficult to deal with, parents, administrators, they're going to have to continue to love kids in the classroom when they're exhausted, when they don't feel good, when they're trying their patience, when they've tried to tell them the same thing over and over again and they just don't get it. So I started there and then I realized I'm probably in trouble because for me, I don't know if I can be as happy for the things of God as Liz and Sid appear to be for the things of the, kid, the children. It's hard for me and it's a challenge for me to rejoice of the things that God rejoices in. Maybe you're like me and, and you love to see somebody get baptized and it makes me happy, but do I really rejoice over it? Do I rejoice when I see somebody repent and turn for their sin or see a new Christian? Or do I just think that this is normal and this is how it should be and then I need to go on with the rest of my day? The answer is what gets me in trouble. I try, I don't always do it, and maybe you're like me and you really want to be that way, but there's a lot of things that get in our way in life. And I want to be in here when I see a baptism. I want to be overflowing. And I think that I need to work on that. Is my heart breaking for the things that breaks the heart of God? You know, we live in a state that recently changed the laws where you can kill a baby up to the point of birth. And what we did about it is we lit up the Empire State Building in celebration. Does our heart break for that? Or do we move on to something else? Does my heart truly break for the suffering in the world, for the lost sheep? Does my heart break for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me when I was still a sinner? Do I study the Gospels enough? Do I study the Scripture? Do I understand why we believe what we believe? Now, with a note of hope here, I'm much better at this today than I was as a young man. I do actually enjoy sort of studying the scriptures and, and understanding, but do I do it enough? Do I understand why we had to have a flood? Do I understand why we do the things that we do? Now, not everybody likes to read and study. You can listen to podcasts. You can watch videos. You can talk to other Christians who kind of understand what's going on, and you can learn. But the things that I still need to do better at is when I get an idea in my head is to keep following that idea until I understand it completely. It's not enough for me to know that the rest are just details. I want to know why I believe what I believe. In physical strength, I already know that, that my 
puny strength is not enough for God. And it's unlikely, but it could happen that one of us may have to be martyred for our faith. And if that's the case, then, then God give us the strength to have the physical courage to endure that. But like Elizabeth and, and Liz, I think I need to have the physical strength to understand that I need to be patient with God when he has a plan that I don't know and I have to wait. I have to be loving God when I'm exhausted. I have to love God when I see pain. I have to stay with God after I've counted the cost of discipleship. Following Jesus isn't always easy for us. Do we have patience in the, fight, in the face of the silence from God? Can we endure and can we run the race to the end like Paul? We know we can because Jesus tells us he will be with us always, even until the end of the age. His strength doesn't fail. Ours will, and yet we still need to endure. So my prayer this morning is that we would go beyond the memes that simple would not mean shallow for us. That we wouldn't allow simplicity to overshadow a mediocrity of faith. That yes, we would indeed love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And that that would be the defining fellowship of New Life Fellowship of this gathering of believers. So I'll end with this. Love God, love others, disperse, and go and be the church.